Hi, I sound pretty loud. What do you think? You like the loud one? Okay. <laughs> My five-year-old friend likes it loud. All right, we are glad to see you tonight. Saying with the psalmist, Psalm 122.1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord on a Sunday night. We'll come to the house of the Lord on Monday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're looking forward to it. We had a really good crowd this morning. Uh, some are back, some aren't. I hope you are a saint. Saint, Saint, S-A-I-N-T, Sunday afternoon is nap time, and so I hope you're feeling very saintly, and you're rested up, and you're ready to listen to the Word of God. As we continue in our series on the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, there is facets of His ministry. Uh, today we're in the teaching ministry of the Lord Jesus, and we're going to continue right where we left off. In John chapter 3, in the first three verses, we saw the cruciality of the new birth. As we were introduced to this uh, Nicodemus feller with all of his uh, religion and morality and uprightness. We talked about the history of the Pharisees and who the Pharisees are, who they were, uh, what their significance was in the New Testament. And then the fact that Nicodemus is also a ruler of the Jews. He's part of the ruling elders called the Sanhedrin. Seventy, the most upright religious men chosen to bring leadership to the people of Israel. And so Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a a Sanhedrin individual, so he's the cream of the crop, he's the upper crust of religion, and so he represents all of those who are religious but not born again. It's interesting that John chapter 4 comes after John chapter 3, I know that's a great revelation for some of you, and so uh, there you find this woman at the well, you find this contrast between the religious and the irreligious, the moral and the immoral the educated and the uneducated, the socially acceptable and the social outcast. And so the woman at the well is just the opposite, really, of Nicodemus. But the point is that both of these are next to each other, means that everyone needs to be born again. The religious, moral person and the immoral, illicit person, they both need the new birth. And that's the whole point of them back to back like that. And so we found Nicodemus, of course, coming at night. We discussed that. We discussed his respect for the Lord, for the teacher, and the fact that they, he recognized the miracles of God were of God, not of Satan, Matthew 12, and the Phariseistic thought. And so uh, the Lord Jesus answered the question before he can even answer it, and the fact that he needs to be born again. Nicodemus thinks as a ch physical child of Abraham that he's automatically right with God. No one is automatically right with God. Everyone is born with a wicked, depraved, corrupt human nature that is bent on sinning and left to ourselves. We will sin. I'm glad this thing's not left to me. Praise God for salvation through the Lord Jesus and his death, burial, resurrection. We thank, you for, we thank him for imputed righteousness. We thank God for the standing we have in Christ, which is as perfect as Christ is perfect. And so we have our position, and we also have our practice, which we need sometimes to work on. And so the Lord said, you must be born again. We described the new birth and what its tenets were, and... Uh, Nicodemus's confusion, making the same mistake that 99% of the world religions make, and that is that we have some kind of part. We have to do something 
to gain the portals of glory. And of course, the Lord's going to correct that in his clarification tonight. And so uh, before we have our message, though, my lovely wife will come. We've been married 43 years, 86 for her, because that's twice as hard on her. And so, uh, so we've been, we do a lot of traveling together. We're one of those couples that, uh, that were together 24-7, and we, we ended up with no scars because of that. But we, uh, we enjoy that. We enjoy the traveling. We enjoy being together. I love her recitations. I get to hear one every night before I preach. And so let's listen to another one and then have the preaching. And think with me about the life the Lord Jesus lived here on this earth and how that relates to giving himself on the cross. The little shop at Nazareth, the peaceful life for which it stood, the clear, strong, ringing hammer strokes, the droning saw, the riven wood, the murmur of the smoothing plane, the scent of shavings freshly curled. When thou hadst left them all behind and gone thy way into the world where men would hate thee, and one deny and all forsake, was there one added pang in this, that tools of thy familiar craft should be the things that wounded thee? The hammer and the driven nails, the wood of that accursed tree. Ah, no, thou crowned and crucified, thou power of God that seemed to fail. Twas not of wood thy cross was made. Twas not the hammer and the nails that drove the blows and fixed thee there and pierced thy hands and feet at last. Man's hatred and man's sin was the cross, and it was love. It was Christ's love that held him fast. Amen. Praise God for the love, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the pity, and we're thankful for that. Father in heaven, we do thank you for all that you are. We thank you for that thought of the Lord Jesus, who was a carpenter for so many years, and then it was tools of the familiar craft that nailed him to a cross. And We thank you, Lord, for his suffering, for his vicarious suffering, for his shed blood, the power of that blood. And, and Tim sang about that tonight. And Lord, we join our hearts together now around the word of God, and may we learn, may we grow, help us to be challenged strengthen, build up in the most holy faith. Perhaps we need rebuke. Perhaps we need some kind of chastisement. Lord, whatever your will is for us. And it's always our great desire that people might be saved and that people might be sanctified. So bless us together in Christ's name. Amen. And so I gave her a bit of review earlier because I know John wasn't here this morning. And maybe, Jimmy says, was there anybody here tonight that was not here this morning beside John? All right, okay, good. So you got a little bit of review. How many of you, you were here this morning, but you're not here tonight? All right, we got two, three of those. All right, so we appreciate all of you returning tonight because you love the Lord and you love his word. I hope you love his church. 
You might even love this pastor. Uh, maybe you even love me. I don't know. But anyway, so here we return to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Again, the cruciality of the new birth. You must, you must be born again. Absolutely crucial and essential that you be born again. Nicodemus is confused. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Can I have another physical birth? Is that being born again? No, you don't need another physical birth because you'd be no better off than your first physical birth because physical birth is in Adam. Physical birth is in sin. Physical birth brings with it an inherent, intrinsic, innate, sinful nature that can only be overcome by the power of Christ in this born-again experience. And so Nicodemus is not getting it. Nicodemus is a bit dense. He is so conditioned by religion and by Phariseeism because the Lord is going to give a clarification. And then Nicodemus says in verse 9, how can these things be? And then the rebuke of our Savior to Nicodemus in verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? You have claimed to have mastered the Old Testament and have most of it memorized. Everything Christ gives us is in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Because really the new birth is, is, is part of the new covenant that Ezekiel, 26, uh, Ezekiel 36, 26 talks about and that, and that Jeremiah talks about and it, it's all part of that. But now there's the clarification. And so after Nicodemus does not understand, can I... Man, enter back into his mother's womb. Is that being born again? Jesus answered, verily, verily, verse 5, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 3, without the new birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so, of course, the age-old question, what is the water? Now, let me give you a hermeneutical principle. Hermeneutics is the study of interpretation. Now, the hermeneutics of this verse is simply this. What would John have understood the water to be? When the Lord Jesus says, born of water, he does not explain what the water is, which means that Nicodemus knows. So Nicodemus knows what water Jesus is talking about. Otherwise, Jesus would explain what the water is. And so our question then hermeneutically is, what would Nicodemus have understood this water to be? All right, this water cannot be Christian baptism. There is no Christian baptism at this point. And yet there are whole groups of people that say, well, this is, a, this is either infant baptism or this is the baptism that follows salvation. That cannot be. Nicodemus would not have known that. Some say, well... It's Ephesians 5.26. It's the washing of the water of the word. Uh, folks, Ephesians hasn't been written yet. There's no way Nicodemus could have known Ephesians 6.5.26. I know preachers who are adamant about this. That, is, that water in verse 5 is the washing of the water of the word because you can't get saved without the word, and that is true. The Word of God says that. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, doing what? Converting the soul. 
You cannot be converted, you cannot be born again without the Word of God. The Word of God is a living book. Its message brings life. And furthermore, you would never even know about your sin or how to be saved or who Christ is and what he accomplished for you without the Word of God. So nobody can be saved apart from this book. Now that is true, but that's not Ephesians 5.26 in this context. All right, so there's only really two things that Nicodemus could have understood. I mean, in addition, there were Old Testament washings and ablutions, but I don't think that's where this is going here at all. He knows two things. Number one, he knows the baptism of John. All right, what was the baptism of John? John the Baptist. He's right over there. John is there, and he's a Baptist, right? Amen. And so the baptism of John the Baptist was a Jewish baptism, has nothing to do with Gentiles. The baptism of John was a baptism of repentance to prepare a nation to receive their king, King Jesus, the Messiah. He's coming. And John had a preparatory ministry. That's what he was prophesied to do. A voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And so a baptism of repentance. Now, is repentance necessary for salvation? Yes, but you have to define that. You have to define that. All right? A, 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 a baptism of repentance is a Jewish soul preparing their heart for the Messiah to come. But repentance is essential in a born-again experience. We know that from Acts 20, 21, uh, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks. So this is for the Jew and the Gentile. Testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there were those who maybe have profession without repentance or those who claim to have repentance, but they don't have a saving faith. Repentance isn't simply a change of mind or attitude towards sin. Repentance is not turning from your sin. Please understand that. I hear preachers say that all the time. You've got to repent. You've got to turn from your sin. Listen, you're spiritually dead. You have no power to turn from your sin. Furthermore, they say you have to repent of all your sins. Man, if that were true, the night I got saved of September 19th, 1976, I, I'd had a scroll a mile long. My sins were great. My sins were many. My sins would have been too numerous to, to elaborate to God in one evening. No, when you come to Christ in salvation, you're confessing your sinfulness. You're confessing this, this depraved, corrupt nature that you have that, that produces sin in your life. It's coming to the place where you say, I'm sick and tired of a life of sin. I'm sick and tired of being a slave to my flesh. I'm tired of constantly falling into temptation and sinning against the God of heaven. My sin has come up as a stench. In the nostrils of a holy God. And I want God's power to change me. I do not have that power myself to change me. But it's a recognition of your sinfulness and of your depravity. It's a recognition that that sin brought Christ out of heaven and nailed him to a cross. And without the cross and without Christ, that sin will bury you. Destroy you. 
and you will suffer the insufferable pangs of a devil's hell forever. And so it's not the power in any human being to turn from your sin. Only God has the power to turn you from your sin. And it's not a, well, I repented, so that's why I'm saved. No, repentance is a gift, folks. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. In meekness, opposing the, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who were taken captive by him at his will so that God would grant or give repentance to the sinner. And so John's baptism is a baptism of repentance, but that's a repentance for a Jewish mind and heart to prepare their heart for the coming king. All right, so Nicodemus did know about John's ministry. That's one of the things that brought him to Jesus by night when he heard the Lord Jesus preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Nicodemus, being a physical descendant of Abraham, said, Why would I need to repent? I don't understand that teaching, why you would command a Jewish son of Abraham to, to repent. And so the Lord said, Well, you may be a Jewish son of Abraham, but you need to be born again, or you will not see the kingdom of God. And so what is the other thing that it could have been? All right, so we could give credence to those who say, well, Nicodemus or Jesus referring to the water of repentance because Nicodemus is a Jew. But more close to the contextual interpretation of this is simply water is physical birth. Very simply stated. And that is the whole context Nicodemus, you don't have to go back into your mother's womb and have another physical birth, verse 4. No, verily, verily, except a man be born of water, except a man be born physically and spiritually. All right, all of us know, and it was certainly understood in the first century, what the breaking of the water was. And we have several mothers in this room tonight. And you could explain more fully than myself about the breaking of water, birth by water. I watched my wife go through it three times when her water broke. Ooh, my water broke. <laughs> you ladies know what I'm talking about because the child, the living child in a womb, <laughs> is in an amniotic sack of fluid. And so when it's time for the birth of this child, the amniotic sac bursts, it breaks, and there is a flowing of water that goes out. Am I right, ladies? Give me a nod that's called feedback. Is that right, RJ? You didn't have... Okay. But there is a breaking of the water, and that is physical birth. The whole context screams that the water, in verse 5, is physical birth. Because that is what Nicodemus is dealing with in verse 4. So verse 5, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born physically and spiritually, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he gets into verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Right, what is that talking about? You are born physically in the flesh. And you remain in the flesh until you have this dramatic 
radical transformation and, 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 and this power of God that comes upon you in the new birth. And so this is very important because a lot of religious people are seeking to build a life for God without getting the foundation, 1 Corinthians 3.11. And there are many, many religious, moral, upright, wonderful people, good people who are trying to live for God, but they're doing it in the flesh. And they don't realize, Romans 8, 8 says, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're here tonight and you have never been born again, you have never once in your life pleased God. I know that sounds cruel and it sounds mean, but it's biblical. If you have not been born again, all your religion is flesh. All of your good deeds are flesh. All of that wonderful character that you have is flesh. And that's all it can ever be. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. And you have good, well-meaning, intentioned, zealous people out there who would claim to be living for God, who would even claim to be Christians. But they're still in the flesh. And they don't raise whatever they touch is flesh. They, they sit in a church pew, it's flesh. They touch a hymn book, it's flesh. They touch an offering plate, flesh. They go out in community service, that's all flesh. And that's all it can ever be. And it could never please God. Why? Because God cannot be pleased with anything that comes out of the heart you were born with. We were born with a sinful, depraved, corrupt human spirit and nature. And there's nothing that can be produced out of the heart you were born with that would be pleasing to God. Now, this is what religious people need to understand. My believer friend, if you can get this in your own mind, help religious neighbors and family and friends. Help them understand you're still in the flesh until you've had a new birth or you've had a born-again experience. You're in the flesh, and God cannot receive anything out of the heart you were born with. That's why you need a heart transplant. That's why you need a new heart. And when you're born again, as God says in the new covenant of the old time, he's going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to write my law in your heart, no longer chiseled on tables of stone. And you're going to become a spiritually alive being. And so until that new birth your heart can produce nothing, nothing that God could receive. So you must be born again. You must get this new heart, not a new leaf, but a new life. Not reformation, but transformation. All wrought by the power of God in this new birth. So that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that's all it can ever be. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, literally is spiritual. See, when you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and you fully embrace the Lord Jesus as Savior, as Lord, as the one who died in your place to pay the penalty of your sin, he was a sinless substitute. He was our sin offering. He was our sacrifice that God accepts for our salvation. And until you come to that place... You're not ready. You have to acknowledge that these things are so. You fully embrace, you appropriate, you receive, you accept the risen Christ 
died in your place, shed his blood, buried, risen again from the dead, and ascended on high. And you are persuaded of it. And you are convinced by the Spirit of God. You are convicted by the Spirit of God. And no one can reveal these things to you but the Spirit of God. I can preach them to you, but I cannot persuade you to receive it. I can, can preach it to you, but I can't bring conviction on you. I can't convince you. That's the Holy Spirit's work. But once you embrace fully the Lord Jesus and his suffering and his payment for your sin, then the Spirit of God comes within you. Actually, Christ comes within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. I was mentioning this in Sunday school, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And yet, Galatians 4.6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. And so there's only one God. The Lord our God is one, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. But he has revealed himself in three personalities, and all three personalities have part in your salvation. It's the Spirit of God, according to John 14, 8 through 11, who convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you're not ready for the born-again experience. The Spirit of God must plow furrows to the soil of your heart so that the seed can be planted and germinate. And so the Spirit of God does that plowing in your heart. The Spirit of God is the one that convinces you that this message of Christ is true. The Spirit of God is the one that convicts you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And then as you believe and embrace that, then the Spirit of God brings you to the Son of God. So the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring you to the Son of God. And the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, is, of course, is the one who fulfills all the prophetic utterances about what he would do when he comes. And he's the one who suffered and died and was buried and rose again. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So the Spirit of God brings you to Christ. Christ brings you to the Father. You'll find a counterfeit of that in the tribulation period because the false prophet will bring people to the beast and the beast will bring them to the dragon. And so you remember, as we said this morning, the Satan counterfeits everything of God, everything. So you have to have more discernment today, believer, than you probably have ever needed before. We've got to have discerning people who know how to discern the duplications and the counterfeits of Satan. And they're all over modern American Christianity. Uh, all over the place, counterfeits. So you have to recognize that. As I said this morning, there are counterfeit pastors and preachers, counterfeit churches, counterfeit Christians, counterfeit Bibles, counterfeit Christian music, counterfeit Jesus, counterfeit Holy Spirit, all of it. So it'd be discerning. And so that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. As the Spirit of God now comes within you in the person of Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit, he produces spiritual life. I was spiritually dead, dead, dead to God and alive unto sin. Now that I'm saved, I'm alive unto God and dead unto sin, Romans chapter 6. And so Ephesians 2, 1, and you hath he quickened, you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Those who are spiritually dead, they know about God. They do not know God. A lot of people like that. Religious, devout, zealous, but they only know about God. 
Only when you're born again do you actually know God personally. Why? Because your dead spirit was made alive. The spirit part of man is that which has a personal relationship with the living God, and that part is dead until you're born again. When you're born again, at that moment, you're spiritually alive, you have a relationship with God in heaven, you are now spiritual, and you have a new nature, a spiritual nature that is seeking to control you so that you do spiritual things. That is God's will. His design is that we would now become spiritual beings, and we are in our position. But in our practice, we can be failing in that area, because here's our position. It's perfect in Christ. We're perfect in Christ. That's why we have an eternal covenant relationship with God, an unconditional covenant relationship with God. This position can never be altered. Again, churches that teach you lose your salvation, that is a work system of salvation church. Because if you lose your salvation by sinning, that means you have to keep it by working. You have a works system of salvation of a mixture of law and grace, and that cannot save. So we have this position in Christ that is perfect. I have an unconditional covenant relationship with God that is eternal. Titus 1-2 in hope, in confident expectation of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised. If God promised you eternal life, and then somewhere along the way took it away from you, then it was never eternal. And God becomes a liar. I don't think God appreciates millions of people out here calling him a liar. He doesn't give you probationary life. He gives you eternal life. What is eternal life? It is forever and that cannot be broken. But our position is solid. It's, 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 we're in union, but then there's the communion. So here's my position. Here's my practice. And this is, the, this is the work called sanctification, where the Spirit of God brings our practice closer and closer and closer to our position and conformity to Christ, because that's what true spirituality is, to be like Jesus. It's not your list of independent, fundamental, capital B Baptist. <laughs> because every one of you have a list. If I were to ask you, give me a list of what you think spirituality is. Do you know how many lists we'd have here tonight? What is true spirituality? It's to be like Jesus. That's why Romans 8, 28 and 29, whatever it takes for God to conform you to the image of his son, that's what he's going to allow. That may mean suffering. That may mean trials. That may mean a lot of things. But here we are in our position. Here we are in our practice. We first get saved. We're, we're down here in our practice. And now... Here we are. Every one of you is somewhere in your sanctification to bring you closer and closer to your position. And so that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, is spiritual. Are you spiritually minded? There are those who are carnally minded. Paul the Apostle teaches that in 1 Corinthians 3, where he says, Are ye not carnal? I couldn't speak unto you as unto spiritual. Because you're carnal. I had to give you milk. You're not ready for meat. And the carnally-minded Christian is in for a nice big Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 chastisement. Not losing salvation. Sometimes there's a fine line between a carnal Christian and a false profession of faith. I have a whole message on that someday. What is the difference between being a carnal Christian and having a false profession? 
They're very close in their lifestyles. And so that which is born of the spirit is spiritual. Are you spiritual? Are you spiritually minded? You savor the things of God. You gravitate toward the people of God. You love the Lord God of heaven. You love his word. You love his people. You love lost souls. Are we spiritually minded? Or are we playing a game and not genuinely saved? Or are we carnally minded or worldly minded as a believer? Double mindedness is killing our churches. James 1 8. A double minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. James 4 8. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. Talking to believers. One foot with the Lord, one foot in the world. Somehow thinking that we can enjoy both of those philosophies, you cannot. You love the world, the things of the world. You, the love of the Father is not in you. And there is a philosophy of this world. There is a worldview that we want nothing to do with. That's one of the big battles I think we're facing this Tuesday. Different philosophies of everything, diametrically opposed to the Word of God. And you have politicians who absolutely hate God and hate His Word and hate Christians and hate our Constitution, hate our country, trying to change it. All these people who are glad that Antifa was destroying American cities, that was their plan. And the plan of the liberal left socialists is to destroy America and then rebuild it as a socialist state. That is their goal. They don't care about destroying America's cities, but oh, let, let uh, this party do something, man. We're going to hear all about it. But listen, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. If you're still in the flesh, you need the new birth. If you are born again, you are to be spiritually minded. Perhaps you need revival. And then verse 7, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now, here's where I give my three truths about physical birth that are the exact same truths about spiritual birth. I've actually used this to lead people to Christ. And I could preach, of course, the whole night on these three truths. Remember, the Lord Jesus never violated the law of... The Lord Jesus never violated the law of apperception. Tabitha, that was right on the end of your tongue. I saw it. You got it written down? So somebody tell me, what is the law of apperception? I gave you a definition that I was hoping I would get back tonight. All right, you never teach a new truth without basing it on a truth that's already known. That's what the Lord's doing here in John 3. He'll do it again in John 4, John 5, John 10, John 11, and many other places where he takes a truth that is already known and well-known and builds a spiritual truth on top of that. And so the Lord uses the subject of birth, physical birth, to teach three truths. And so let's see, Stephen's up here. What's your last name? Peterson. Can I ask you this? I mean, it's a pretty simple, basic question, but how do you become a Peterson? (laughs) Right. So the only way into the Peterson family, 
is to be born into it. Am I right? Very simple truth about physical birth. The only way into a human family is to be born into it. You are not hatched from an egg. Are there any egg people here tonight? Where are the egg people? You got hatched from an egg. How about the cabbage patch people? Any of those here tonight? Where are the stork people? No, the only way into a human family is to be born into it. Now, you remember when you were in your mother's womb there, Stephen? Oh, you don't. You were in your sack. But when you were in your mother's womb, you weren't making any deals with your mom, were you? Oh, oh, mom, mom Peterson, I really like to be born in your family. If you let me be born in your family, I promise to keep my room clean. I'll mow the grass. I'll take out the trash. I might even do the dishes if you just let me be born. No, you're not making any deals with your mother. You're born. All right, the only way into a human family is to be born into it, and the only way into God's family is to be born into it. There is no other way. You can't religiously educate yourself into the family of God. You don't make any deals with God. So many people, even so-called Christians, are wheeler dealers with God. And they say, well, if you let me into your heaven, I promise I'll go to church, I'll give money, I'll do this, I'll do that. And, of course, they come woefully short of the glory of God. And so the only way into a human family is to be born into it. John 1, 12, but as many as received him to them gave you power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so you have to be born in the family of God. Would you like to be born in the family of God? You don't have to make any deals with God. You simply come to him by faith and ask him to save your soul. Jesus taught that in the next chapter of John chapter 4. As the Lord Jesus is dealing with that soap opera life woman. Her life is a soap opera. Yet the Lord loved her. Isn't that something? The Lord knew all about the skeletons in, his, in her closet. You've had five husbands who you're living with now. You're shacking up with and fornicating with. How could he know that? Because he's God incarnate. And he's omniscient. And the Lord knew all of the skeletons in her closet. He knew about her soap opera life, yet he loved her. And he made a divine appointment to meet her. Wonderful account. Have you ever heard somebody preach that? Yeah, you have, because I've preached it here. And you all remember that, right? You remember the series I did on John 4 with the bad Samaritan? You heard about the good Samaritan? I'm going to tell you about the bad Samaritan. I preached John 4 to you. You want to know what it was? Well, I'll look it up sometime. And so John 4.10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God. Don't we wish everybody knew the gift of God? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. How could this woman know that the God of creation is sitting next to her on this well in Sychar? How could she possibly know God incarnate is sitting next to her? 
if you knew the gift of God and you knew who I was, you would ask me and I'd give you living water. If you ask the Lord for living water, he'll give it to you. If you come to him in faith, understanding your plight and understanding your hell-bound condition and the travesty of your sin, you can ask him for salvation and you'll be born again. You won't have to make any deals with God, but you have to be born into the family of God. Number two, number two. And so uh, Travis is here tonight. Uh, Travis, you, you remember when you were born? Uh, kind of, sort of, maybe you heard about it. All right. Uh, was there any human effort on your part to be born? So what you're telling me, Travis, is that you were born and there was no pain or sorrows or suffering connected with your physical birth. Not on your part, but there was great suffering and pain and affliction, labor pain on the part of someone else, your mother. You realize that? There was no human effort on your part to be born. But your birth meant somebody had to suffer. Somebody had to travail. Somebody had to work and labor to bring you physical birth. Not you, but dear, sweet mom. My mother suffered much to bring me into the physical realm and reality. My mother conceived twins in her womb. And I'm going to tell you something I don't know you've ever heard about me is that I'm actually a triplet. This only happens once in 10 million cases. My mother conceived twins in her womb. Two months later, she conceived again. And a third child is now growing in her womb. That third child is two months behind the twins. Have you ever heard of that? Neither did all the Midwest Newspapers, yes, it's true. All my face and my two brothers were plastered all over the front page of newspapers all over the Midwest because I was born up in the UP, Ontonagon, Michigan. And we now became the fame of Ontonagon, Michigan because when my mother gave birth, it was a very hard, painful, suffering birth. In fact, she was hemorrhaging and bleeding and the doctor told my dad, prepare yourself your wife's going to die delivering these children. Well, they eventually took a C-section. But we, uh, we had a lot of suffering there. Because when we were born, Richard and Randall were born at full term. But Ronald was two months behind us. Can you imagine that? Three children, triplets are born, but one of them is two months behind the first two. So he was born a preemie, premature. Had to stay in the hospital in an incubator for a long time. <laughs> but my mother suffered and she bled. She had a lot of pain to bring physical birth to me. And just in that same way, there's no human effort on your part to be born spiritually. None. <laughs> Nada. Zilch. But there was great suffering and pain and sorrow on the behalf of someone else to bring you spiritual birth. Are you with me? <laughs> yes, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered. First Peter 3.18, Christ once suffered 
for sin, the just for the unjust. That's you and me. That he might bring us unto God. Isaiah 52, 14, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. If you've ever seen a man disfigured, if you've ever seen a man tortured, if you've ever seen a man beaten and bashed, he was more. The Lord Jesus was unrecognizable when he suffered the scourging and the beating and the nailing and the bleeding. And his back would have been literally torn away. You probably have seen the back of his rib cage, the bones of his ribs pointing through his back because of the scourging. And he suffered. And he bled. He had so much pain as his battered, scarred, his, 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 his back was like, Hamburger meat and, and all of his muscles were shred to bits as he hangs on that cross. And because of the position of the diaphragm, has to push himself up with every breath for six hours, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. With every breath in those six hours, he had to push himself up. And there was electrifying pain surging through his body from the gnarled nerve endings, from the nail in his feet. He suffered much. He bled much to bring you spiritual life. But there was no human effort on your part. It was all on Christ's part. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Healed spiritually. Ephesians 2.89, it's still true. For by grace are you saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. Wouldn't heaven be an awful place? Heaven would be an awful place if we got there based upon what we do. Heaven would be filled with eternity of bragging and boasting. About what we did. Hey, uh, uh, Brother John, you got a minute? Yeah, I got all of eternity. Why? Uh, sit down here for a while. I want to tell you what I did so I could get to heaven. <laughs> That'll never happen in heaven. Oh, praise God. It's a gift. No effort on our part. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he hath saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And second. Timothy 1.9, who saved us, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Wonderful verses. Romans 4, to him that worketh. <laughs> to him that worketh is reward, not reckoned of debt, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith will save him. And so there's no human effort to get into a human family or have a Physical birth, no human effort or suffering or pain on your part. It was all on your mother, and there was no human effort on your part for the spiritual birth. And then number three, number three, well, old, old friend Bob Wynn is out there, my shalom brother. <laughs> and so, Bob, I ask you this question. Are you right now at this moment being born physically? Oh, no, you're not, eh? 
So what you're telling me, Bob, is that physical birth is not a lifelong process. Physical birth takes place at a point of time. There was a moment you were not physically born, and the next moment you were physically born. And you have a birth certificate that proves that. You have a birth certificate with your name in a particular year, month, day, hour, and even the minute. It's on your birth certificate. The very moment in time where you made an entrance into the physical realm and reality. Physical birth takes place on a point of time. And so does the spiritual birth. Spiritual birth is not a lifelong process of being religious or going to church or doing good things. The spiritual birth takes place in a point of time. One minute you were not born again, the next minute you are. And you get a spiritual birth certificate called your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's important because of Revelation 20:15, whosoever was not found written in the Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire. So you've got to have a spiritual birth certificate because you have a spiritual birth that took place in a point of time, not a lifelong process. Romans 10, 9, you know it, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In that moment, you are saved. Not may be saved, not might be saved, not find out someday, you are saved. You have a spiritual birth at that moment. And you continue in Christ. From that day on, for your whole earthly existence, and then for eternity, as you spend time eternally with with the Lord. And so marvel not, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And if you can understand the three physical truths of of physical birth, then the same three truths are true of spiritual birth. And so the new birth, cruciality, Confusion to Nicodemus and then the clarification. You know, the rest of the whole chapter flows out of this as the Lord Jesus tries to help Nicodemus understand. And our Savior is so compassionate. If you're having trouble understanding the new birth, the Lord will be patient with you. But we would love to take the word of God and, and give you some help and some, uh, some instruction about how to receive Christ as Savior. I'm assuming that most of you in this service tonight are born again. I may be fishing for men. I may be casting my hook into a flock of sheep. (laughs) But there's always that potential that there could be somebody here tonight that's not yet truly, genuinely born again. If there's any doubt in your mind whether you've had this new birth, that which is born of the Spirit is spiritual. (laughs) All right, and so if there's any doubt in your mind or there's any lacking of assurance and we can help you with that, please let us know. We're going to have an invitation hymn. We invite you to come if you'd like to come. Just take me by the hand. Say, I've not yet been born again. I want to be born again or pray with me that I'll get assurance of being born again and whatever other need you may have as a believer.